Well, good morning. My name is Matthew Eichard, and I serve here at Clemson Prez as the pastor of youth and families. This morning, we're going to continue our Freedom Series, so I'd like you to join me now in the book of Galatians. As you open your Bibles, you'll find Galatians in the New Testament, just past the larger books of 1 and 2 Corinthians. This morning, we're going to look at just the first few verses of Galatians chapter 4. Before I read this passage for us, though, I, I do want to set the scene a bit. I know that some of us have probably been distracted, at least by the last week's worth of activities. So we need to make sure that we know what's happening in the context of this book. Sometime around AD 50, the Apostle Paul showed up in Galatia and faithfully preached the true gospel message that sinful men and women and boys and girls are saved by grace through faith in the finished atoning work of Jesus Christ. Paul preached salvation by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing. By God's grace, the people in that region received the good news with humility and sincerity. But unfortunately, a group known as the Judaizers arrived on Paul's heels and introduced a false gospel. Here's what it sounded like. You'll have a right standing before God if you believe in Jesus and keep the law. So Paul wrote the letter to the churches in Galatia as a warning, and he comes right out of the gate swinging. Why? Because the gospel, the glory of Jesus Christ, and the eternal good of the church are being attacked and undermined. In chapters 2 and 3, Paul appeals to Jewish authorities and Jewish history to bolster his defense. Paul tells us that the message of salvation by grace through faith plus nothing, it received the blessing of Peter, James, and John, the leading apostles in Jerusalem. Paul also points to Abraham, the patriarch of the Jewish people, as the prime example of salvation by grace through faith. Here now at the end of chapter 3, in the beginning of chapter 4, Paul is explaining for us the relationship between the law and the gospel in our salvation. So with all of this in mind, let's look together at Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Galatians 4, 1 through 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the very Word of God. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, as we give our attention to these verses from the book of Galatians, many of us are weary and distracted. Some of us are broken down and maybe even feeling burnt out. But you tell us that your word will not return void. You are going to use your word by your spirit to transform hearts and lives today. So, Father, strengthen me to preach from a position of confidence. Strengthen us to hear your truth from a position of expectation. Convict us. Comfort us. Change us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Over the past week, many of us traveled, and I'm sure almost all of us visited with family and friends. I'm sure that at least some of us, maybe more than a few of us, encountered the familiar get-to-know-you questions. How have you been? Where are you living? How's work or school going? Is there anyone special in your life this year? If you're visiting someone for the first time, or maybe for the first time in a very long time, you may have been asked a more fundamental question. Now, who are you again? <laughs> if you stop and think about it, all of these questions are related to what? Our identity. People want to know who you are, what you enjoy, and how you've spent your time. Last week, Brian reminded us that identity can be tricky, though. In our world, personal identity, we're, we're told that it's something that we, are, we have to create, and then we have to curate it for ourselves as individuals. In essence, culture tells us that the definition of you is entirely up. To you. So what really describes you then? Who or what defines your meaning? Where are you looking for your joy and your purpose this morning? Your security and your confidence, your significance and your hope. At the end of the day, who are you really? And how do you know? As we look at these verses in Galatians 4 today, we're going to talk a lot about identity and the real origin of our identity. We're going to see who we are as people and who we are as God's people. Along the way, we'll look at big ideas like slavery, the law, the gospel, adoption, and inheritance. As we consider all of these things, and ultimately our salvation and our identity together this morning, we're going to look at three points. First, our past, or who we are outside of Christ. Second, our present, or who we are in Jesus Christ. And finally, our future, or who we will be in Christ. So first, let's examine our past Verses 1 through 3 describe our condition outside of Jesus. Just look at the beginning of verse 1 with me again. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. The Apostle Paul here sees an immature child who has received promises and expects great things, but there's a problem. This child is not yet of age. And as a minor, he is under guardians and managers until the date set 
by his father. The child then isn't in control and doesn't get to call the shots. The child is actually under the full authority and mastery of another until he grows up. Here in Galatians, we're supposed to see a schoolboy chafing under the strict guidance and governance of his full-time live-in tutor. Can we go have some fun now? No. (laughs) Can I take a day off and, and get some rest? No. But haven't I done enough already? No. But I work harder, do better, keep grinding forever. Paul is painting a picture of exhaustion and frustration. We are supposed to see the sweat and feel the angst here. And then things get personal in verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So we were the children We were the ones under management. We were the exhausted, frustrated, exasperated, disheartened, demoralized children. We were, all of us, under a guardian. In Galatians 3.24, Paul tells us that the guardian is the law. Here in chapter 4, he says that we were enslaved to what? The elementary principles of the world. So we're really being drawn into something very old, something deep and foundational here. Let me ask you, what promise did Jesus Christ make to the expert in the law who recited the two greatest commandments in Luke chapter 10? Jesus said, do this and you will live. What promise did God make to his covenant people In Leviticus 18.5, a verse that Paul quotes in Galatians 3, you shall keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he will live by them. I am the Lord. What promise did God make to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? Obedience, perfect obedience, will result in everlasting life. This is what theologians have called the covenant of works. And it is the elementary principle of the world as we know it. To continue on in a condition of satisfaction, contentment, and hope. To continue forward in life and joy and peace, we must what? Perfectly, continually, constantly obey the commandments of a holy God. So what's the problem? (laughs) We cannot do that. We cannot keep the law of God, not even for a day. I mean, gracious mercy, we are sitting here in church and our hearts are full of covetousness, dishonesty, lust, and idolatry. The law of God then becomes what for us? A kind of tutor. We try, and we fail. We keep trying, and we keep failing. We want to break free, but but we can't. And so we're left tired and frustrated and confused. But you see, that is where grace begins to peek through the clouds. 
Because it is when we are tired and frustrated and confused and disheartened and desperate, guess what? We are ready for something more. Something better. And something, no, someone outside of us. As I considered this text, I thought about getting into the ring with a professional heavyweight boxer in his prime. Now, technically, for your information, I am the size of a professional heavyweight boxer. But what would happen? Right hook to the body, right uppercut to the chin, Matthew is unconscious on the canvas. But what if I worked out for months and even years? Right hook, right uppercut, Matthew on the canvas. What if I studied all of the tape? Hook, uppercut, canvas. It's a no-win situation. We could play a, a training montage of me, complete with Eye of the Tiger, and the situation would not change. I would lose every single time. Here in Galatians 4, God is telling us, point blank, that we cannot work hard enough to free ourselves from the mastery or guardianship of the law. We cannot earn righteousness and welcome before God. We cannot keep that covenant of works given to Adam and Eve in the garden. Every time we try that, we are right back on the canvas with our guilt and our shame. The Old Testament law is not a way for broken, sinful people to earn a right standing before God. If this morning you are trying to gain or merit your salvation through your own good works, then you are a slave. That is your core identity. And as a slave, you will find nothing but exhaustion, disappointment, and ultimately death in your own efforts. You don't need to work harder. You don't need to dig deeper or do more. You need to give up on yourself. If you're looking to Christ alone by faith this morning, then there's actually an application for you in these first few verses as well. Slavery to the law and the constant call to trust in your performance as the foundation of your righteousness, that's in your past. Slavery does not define you anymore. So you need to remember the futility and frustration of your former life and not under any circumstance should you turn back to it. Not even for a moment. The second big point in our passage is our present. Verses 4 through 6 tell us who we are now as God's people in Christ. I'm going to reread this for us in just a moment, but let me say this first. This particular description of our salvation is beautiful. It is rich. And it's even majestic. All of Scripture is God-breathed, yes. But this is one of those passages that is just incredibly powerful and deeply personal all at the same time. Just listen to this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Just look at it. It's the incarnation and our redemption, the full sovereignty of God and the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's all there. As we work to comprehend and appreciate so much of this, as we look at all these beautiful facets of our salvation, I think it's best to actually organize our thoughts around the persons of the Trinity. Did you notice the references to the Father and the Son and the Spirit as I read? All three persons of the Godhead are on the move here and they are all working to secure the same thing. Our adoption. First, look at the Father. He's there in verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. Let's not take anything for granted, friends. God providentially guides every single moment of human history. The appearance of Jesus Christ was not a happy accident. It was the intentional work and will of God the Father. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, says the old Christmas carol. But what? God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. God the Father is a giver, brothers and sisters. He sent His Son out. He gave His Son over so that we might become the sons of God. Secondly, I want you to look at the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 4, Jesus is described as the Son of God. So He is fully divine. Very God of very God. Light of light. But then in verse 5, we learn that Jesus was born of woman. This is a clear and unapologetic reference to the Incarnation. We are gathered here together on this first Sunday of Advent. And what are we anticipating? Or maybe more correctly, what are we remembering? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man and fully obedient. Look at verse 5 again. Paul tells us that Jesus was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, born of woman, took on our slavery. He submitted Himself to the law and to the requirement of perfect obedience. And unlike any man or woman before Him, Jesus obeyed. He fulfilled the law. He earned righteousness and welcome. But not for Himself. For us. He was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Let me ask you a question. Are we saved by the death of Christ? The answer is yes. He bore our sins, our disobedience, and our rebellion on the cross. 
He took the full wrath of God and died in our place. But let me ask you another question. Are we saved by the life of Christ? The answer is also yes. He earned our righteousness before God through His perfect obedience, moment by moment, day by day, year by year, as He lived in our place. What's the result of Jesus' life and death under the law? We are redeemed, bought back from the slave market of sin so that we might receive adoption as sons. When we are in Christ by faith, we are in. We are dearly loved, fully welcomed, eternally embraced children of God. But we're not done yet. Verse 6 tells us something about the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Look at it again. God, that's the Father again, sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. This means that if you are trusting in Christ for your salvation this morning, then we have good news. God the Father not only sent forth His Son to purchase your adoption. He also sent forth His Holy Spirit into your heart, into the innermost part of your being, to confirm the reality of that adoption to you each and every day of your life. How do I know that? Look at the final part of verse 6. Crying, Abba, Father. That word Abba is the Aramaic term for dad. Abba is intimacy and respect. Familiarity and and honor all rolled into one. Father is, is the familiar Greek word for father that would have been almost universally used in the Roman world. But this phrase Abba Father only appears three times in the whole New Testament. Once here in Galatians 4. Once in Romans chapter 8, and once in Mark 14, 36. It's that Mark 14 passage that really helps us understand what Paul is driving home for us here. Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before His crucifixion, and He cries out, Abba, Father. Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, has access to the Father. He is welcomed by the Father. He is cared for by the Father. He is loved and supported by the Father, even in His most desperate hour. By the power of the Holy Spirit, all the children of God, all the children of God, have that same access and receive that same welcome and care and love for time and eternity. If you are a believer in the Holy Spirit, then He dwells in you. The third person of the Trinity, He lives in you by faith. As your helper, your advocate, He is constantly reminding you about the reality of your adoption. The Spirit of God constantly confirms your new identity. If we take all of this, and it's a lot, and we press it together, 
then we get some really good news. Our basic identity has, in fact, changed. Verse 7 tells us as much. You are no longer a slave, but a son. By faith, we become the true sons of God. All those who are in Christ, Jews and Gentiles, servants and free men, men and women and boys and girls, all have become the children of God Almighty. We all have equal value and equal standing in the family of God, not because of who we are, not because of what we have done, but because of God's work on our behalf. Some of you know that Rachel and I lived in Charlotte prior to coming to Clemson. At the time, we were both full-time students, and we worked multiple jobs. So as you might imagine, free time and fun money were really at a premium. One day, though, Rachel was on her way home, and she called me to ask me if I wanted to go to a concert. The family that she was tutoring for had offered her free tickets. I'll never forget this. I said, maybe, who's giving the concert? She said, I, I don't know. I don't think I've ever heard of them. Crosby, Stills, and Nash? <laughs> now, I love music. So I said, uh, yes. So here we are, frantically getting ready, driving across town and walking into a Crosby, Stills, and Nash concert. But it gets better. Because as we walk in, we realize that this is not just any concert. It's an exclusive private event hosted by the upper echelon of Charlotte society. There are multiple tiered tables of hors d'oeuvres, a fully open bar, and a grand total of 200 people, all over the age of 55. Our seats were 30 feet from the stage, and we had a great night. But you take one look at us, and anybody in that room knew those two people don't fit. During the intermission, one guy, friendly, he walked up to us, and he actually asked us what we did for a living. <laughs> but you know what? We did belong that night. More than anyone else, or just as much as anyone else, not because we had done anything, but because someone else had paid our way and welcomed us in. We had a real ticket, and we got to go anywhere and everywhere we wanted. Why? Because we were in. I want you to look up here at me. If you are trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ by faith, then you are not a slave anymore. You are a child of God. If you are in Christ, then you are in. You belong. You are a part of God's family. Not because of your upbringing. Not because of your behavior. Not because of your ethnicity or your gender or your age. You are in because God the Father initiated your adoption. You are in because God the Son secured your adoption. You are in because God the Holy Spirit constantly seals the reality of that adoption upon your mind and your heart. 
Our final point this morning is about our future. This is a brief point, but it's an important one. Look at the end of verse 7 one last time. And if a son, then an heir through God. As the children, as the true children of God, we are set to inherit, to possess, to own outright all the blessings of God's kingdom alongside our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to the broader testimony of Scripture as we think about our future. This is the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Or hear the Apostle John in Revelation 21. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. At the conclusion of the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis uses a phrase to describe the unfolding majesty of the new, real Narnia, or the better world. Further up and further in. Jewel the Unicorn perhaps describes it best. I have come home at last, this is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that sometimes it looked a little like this. Come further up. Come further in. This morning, if you are a child of God by faith, then you belong to God through the saving work of Jesus Christ. And know that you are meant day by day to come further up and further in. The children of God, those who have been adopted by His grace, we will receive an indescribable and irreversible inheritance. Ours is a kingdom that cannot and will not be shaken. In Christ, brothers and sisters, our future is bright and it is sure. Put simply, the best is yet to come. Earlier, I noted that this passage in Galatians 4 is really all about identity. As you go through life, I want to ask you again, who or what 
defines you? Where are you looking for your joy and your purpose? Your security and your confidence? Your meaning and your hope? At the end of the day, who are you really? God tells us here in Galatians that we have two and only two basic identities. We are either slaves or sons. Hear me well. If you are outside of Christ, then you are a slave. You can be rich, well thought of, well educated, and outwardly successful. But make no mistake, as a slave, yours will be a life of exhaustion, frustration, discouragement, and death. Your work will never be enough. If by God's grace you are beginning to feel and see that slavery today, then I want you to look up and hear some really good news. You can give up on your own best efforts. You can give up on on trying to earn your righteousness. And you can turn toward the finished, saving work of Jesus. Repent and believe the gospel. And if you are in Christ, then know today that you are a son. You are a dearly loved child of God for time and eternity. You are a part of God's forever family. I said it before and I'll say it again. You were not in because of your performance. You were not in because of your race. You were not in because of your gender or your age. You were in because God the Father initiated your adoption. You were in because God the Son secured your adoption. You were in because God the Holy Spirit constantly seals the reality of that adoption upon you as a child of God. And as a child, you are an heir. Yours is a kingdom and a future, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for loving us and for bringing us into Your family through the work of Jesus Christ, Your Son, our Savior. Thank You for giving us the Holy Spirit. Thank You that we can cry out with confidence today, Abba, Father. As we continue forward in worship, we pray that You would continue to convict and comfort our hearts. That You would continue to lead us safely home to Yourself. We pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.